All right, welcome to APS Radio. I'm Jim Bernica. I've got two special guests with me this week. I've got Mike and Ann Galliano. How are you? Good. Yeah. Well, like, like we shared with you, I don't know if you're supposed to share this with your listeners, but we're on the tail end of our second COVID vaccine. So we just, we take no responsibility for what we say from this point yeah. forward. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling a little we're, tired. We're, we're loopy and tired, and we're just going to say whatever we want, and Jim can just deal with it. That, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't the vaccine. That was true serum. <laughs> All right. Well, again, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I, you know, you, you wrote a book a few years ago, and that's what we're going to, I think, mostly talk about the uh, challenges of the firefighter marriage. Here it is right here for everybody that's actually watching us on Fire Engineering on the YouTube channel. Oh, you've got one too. Look at that. You have a copy too, as you would as you would be surprised. How, right? how, I'm very surprised, actually. <laughs> what is what a shocker! Uh, <laughs> you know how to plug stuff too. That's awesome. So I want to kind of go to where this all began, which was before the book. Is really the articles. I mean, that's where I first started seeing them. How, what was the genesis of and actually you starting to write articles for fire engineering? Uh, well, it actually first all began around 2006, I guess, when Mike made captain with Seattle Fire. And when he made captain, they tagged him for a day job and they stuck him in the training center. So he was now, he was off shift and working every day, commuting into the city every single day. And at the training center, um, he was running into firefighters he hadn't seen for a while because he could you know, got a little isolated at his station. And now he's seeing firefighters every day, hasn't seen probably some of them even since he first came in as a recruit and reconnecting with them, catching up. You know, it was nice to see everybody every day. And every single day he was coming home to me saying, I ran into so-and-so and he's divorced now. And I ran into this person, they're divorced. And, and I knew him back when, when they were happily married and over, over the years, something happened to their family, something happened to their marriage. And um, this wasn't just once or twice, this was like every day for the first month or so that he was there. Um, and it started to really upset him and it was depressing him and saying, what's going on? Um, you know, I, I've been in touch with my station guys, but this seems to be a departmental issue and really concerning him. And then a lot of them that weren't divorced, but were going through marital issues and marital problems and they were they were coming to him during the break or whatever and saying gosh you're still married can you give me some advice and he just didn't really know what to say you know he, he didn't know if there were what is and so he asked me he said is there is there something about living with a firefighter that's kind of tough are, are there some things that you're noticing that are we hard to live with and I said oh yeah <laughs> and he said well do you do you have some ideas? I said, I got lots of ideas. And, and then he said, well, do you mind writing them down for me? So I'll kind of know what to say the next time somebody asks me for marriage advice. And so he was thinking I'd write just a little one or two lines on a post-it note, you know, something. And instead I wrote him that original article that you're talking about. It was a type 10 page annotated document. <laughs> and he just went, whoa, I, I had no idea. <laughs> and so that's, that's how that article came about was a question. Are, are we kind of hard to live with? Are firefighters a little hard to live with? And what have you observed over the years? By this time, we've been married oh, more than 20 years when I wrote that. And so um, just kind of 
from a question and me thinking about it and, and researching it and writing it down. Some of us may be harder to live with than others. That's true. So, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe your document will be a five page type document, but I got 10 pages of <laughs> When when you see that first article, Mike, I mean, what are you what are you thinking? Because it's kind of like like she's explaining you, and you may not even realize all this stuff is going on. Yeah, no, I you know I I think part of the reason, Jim, that this is a tough topic to tackle for anybody is that you do have yourself being reflected back at you, the way you behave, the things you say, where you fall short, and. You know, for, for most of us, we're proud people, right? You know, we're, we feel like we live life in a good way. And it is challenging to see your deficiencies, if you will, kind of reflected back. Um, I, that article had no business being in fire engineering because fire engineering is a technical magazine. And it, I think it took courage on behalf of Chief Halton to put it in there. I think one of the biggest proponents behind the scenes, you folks, one of the strongest encouragers of everything was Diane, um, Diane Rothschild, who, I mean, she put some credibility on the line to push this type of stuff forward through fire life and whatever. And I can tell you that that article uh, resonated more, got more feedback, more editorial comments than anything I had ever written for fire engineering, um, which as you, as you might imagine, Jim, um, it almost caused us to get a divorce, you know, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Hey, <laughs> I'm the professional here. You know? Um, no. So what it pointed out, what was cool is it pointed out that there is a real need. It resonated. People saw themselves. What you always hope when you share from your heart, especially things that are vulnerable or that kind of knock down the facade of you as this, this professional, this captain, this leader, whatever. Uh, I think what you hope when that happens is that people will, in your story, they will see themselves in your story and go, yeah, that's me. And here's some things they did to tackle the stuff that we're struggling with. We're not alone. We're not weird. It's, it's fairly common stuff. And even the things that aren't common or that we didn't address, hopefully within the principles that Ann talked about, you find yourself and can apply the principle to whatever your deal is. Uh, there are things that we don't struggle with that other people do. And I know there are things that we wrote about that people are like, ah, that doesn't apply to me. That's cool. That's totally fine. It's the principles applied to how you do life and how you're wired that we hoped would resonate. And thus far, uh, it seems to have resonated. It seems like it was really ahead of its time. I mean, what year did you start writing the articles, Anne? Uh, I started writing that original, I would say 2007, 2008, and then it, it took a while for me to really hone it and get it um, to where we wanted in the magazine. They, they looked at the original and said, yeah, we want it, and then it took a while to, like I said, it was 10 pages long, so it was way longer than they needed, and they cut it down, and we honed it. Um, it was in the magazine about 2009 or 10, somewhere. Okay. There. So it took a little while to get it into the magazine. And then that, um, like Mike said, it got a, a good response. And so that's what um, Diane decided to do the website, which was Fire Life. Um, and then I wrote for them for another 10, I, about 10 years, writing a column every other week for 10 years to a month. <laughs> um, and then that, that kind of expanded everything from that original article and then the book 
came from that, came from the columns. So you, you basically had your outline set up already almost. It was a, it was yeah. a matter of just almost putting it together in a, in an order that made sense. Was that fair to say? Yeah, I, I, the original, the original article, the original idea is what about, is the divorce rate higher? I did a lot of research. Um, what professions do seem to struggle the most? Um, again, they all seem to revolve around military, police, fire, medical. And then, so then I started really looking at those, what makes those professions different? That kind of went from there. Um, what is it about firefighting that's different than other jobs? Um, so yeah, a bit of an outline. And then from there, um, what have we done about it? How, how have we managed those, again, the challenges of this profession that make it different do seem to be impacting marriage and what have we done about it? So that's kind of the basic outline um, that was there from the beginning that started um, inspired and sparked by a question, what's happening to firefighter marriages that we were witnessing? So yeah. Well, one of the things she did that was important it's one thing to be able to identify what we did and what some of the issues are. That's just stuff, you know, that's just like facts or whatever. But to try to put it in a, in a way, in a format, in a context that people can use it and make it helpful, that was the challenge. Mm -hmm. And, and it, took us a, it took a couple years to kind of figure out, oh, here's, this is the direction where people can get it and they can apply it. Just reading our story, you know, that almost ends up becoming like a, you know, a, a memoir. Yeah. Autobiography <laughs> or something like that. Or a memoir. Yeah. You know, and then people may or may not find that interesting, but in, but in writing it in such a way that you can read how we did it and our ups and our downs and our struggles, but, but here's the principles to draw out of it. And it's digestible. You can eat it a bite at a time. You can apply it. Now our story is interesting, but your story is more interesting because you have to live it and apply the principles across. That's where I think she really did a magnificent job of taking the initial vision and putting it to a usable format. The, the format itself is to me pretty interesting. You know, you have a, have a chapter, you have a main idea for that chapter and, and, and <clears throat> takes it away from the start. And in, in between that chapter, you'll have like a, a guest couple come in and share their personal story. So it's not just all your story. It's right. stories from all over the place. I, I saw my, my buddy Rick Owen from Australia was in there, which was yep. cool. Um, and is then, Rick your friend? Is Rick Owen your friend? He is. Oh, you know, you don't get to choose your family, but you do get to choose your friends. You don't have to have guys like you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually he's actually a very good friend of ours as well. So. <laughs> That's no, he's a good man. Yeah, I'm hoping he can get off that island here at some point. Yeah, have fun and see us. So yeah. Who knows when that'll happen, but you know, then, then you come in and you're kind of the cleanup hitter, Mike, you know, you, uh, everything's been said and you get to kind of use your perspective as well. So you've, you really got in all these different chapters, you have it from all the different angles, the spouse, the firefighter, this is a, a book that, you know, the firefighter can read, but also the spouse and get, you know, so much out of it. It's, it's just very unique how it's, how it's written. Well, and that was the intent. Um, I know one of the initial pushbacks we got from spouses for doing the classes was, I don't want to come to a class and I don't want to read a book where I have to hear what a crappy job I'm doing on behalf of my hero. 
They didn't just want to get beat up with how they weren't supporting the, you know, the hero. And the reason for that, I mean, some of it, uh, quite candidly, I read some of the initial stuff and some of it just came candidly from this whole worldview about relationships now that are 100% selfish. The relationship is all about you. What are you getting? You know, what am I getting out of it? I need to take care of myself, those types of things. And, you know, we're going to be pretty direct in what we say. If that's the way you approach a relationship, it's going to suck and it's probably going to fail. You have a miserable time. But some of it came, I think, from a good heart in that while the firefighter is doing really good stuff and we love the mission, I believe in the mission and us too, the spouse has a mission <laughs> and a job and, and needs and wants. And the book was written, and Anne was pretty adamant about this. The book was written from the perspective of loving the fire service and loving firefighters and, and pointing out what's going on, taking care of them, but also coming back and saying, firefighter, here's how you take care of your spouse. And here's how you help your spouse with them helping you live your dream. How do you help your spouse in turn navigate that, but also live their dream? Marriage is a 100% reciprocal thing. That's why we elected to do it that way. And the other nice thing about having other people talk about the book, we're not divorced. We've never experienced that. We've never experienced some of those things or some challenges. We had two or three people who were on their second marriages and doing great in their second marriages. Talk about navigating that a little bit. Yeah. A lot of what you wrote, again, it's, you know, it's your story, but at the same time, there's so many parallels that I find and just in my career, you know, 20 years in now, one of the first things I wanted to talk about, and I hope you can expound on it, and it's it was nothing that I really officially thought, but over the years, we've kind of realized this. It was just the the term reentry time. Mm. I'll tag you in for that one. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because um, I had to come up with a word for what was happening um, for that. And, and what it was was me being home and waiting for Mike to come home and him coming in the door and, and us crashing into each other, him coming from the rock and roll world, the firefighting 24 hours, 48 hours of this high intense environment and me waiting for him at the door with, with I chose to stay home at the, you know, the beginning of our career, his career, me at home with our little boys just waiting for him to walk in that door. And, and again and again and again, especially at the beginning of, of his career, that going badly and, and us um, starting our time together in a fight and then having to spend, let's say it was the beginning of a four day break, having to spend those four days trying to mend <laughs> from reentry time going badly. And it, it took a long time to even put it into words or, or think about what was happening there and why it went badly. And, and I learned over time, basically what reentry time means is giving your firefighter a chance to come in the door without pouncing on him and expecting him or her to perform or to communicate or to, to tackle that honeydew list immediately. Or for Mike, it was mainly um, not getting a risk round of 21 questions because he just wasn't in a frame of mind to be, he used to call it the assault or the interrogation um, and, and giving him a chance to decompress. And whatever that looks like in your family, um, decompression time can just be quiet time alone, um, taking a nap, um, going out to the office or the shed or yard or something where just a second to decompress. You can say, hi, I love you. How you doing? Glad you're here. And then 
leave him alone. And then later in the day, after he's had that time to decompress and shift gears, then he'll sit down and talk with me and reconnect with me. And it, it went better. And that's just what I learned from experience, actually doing it, give him a chance, hold my tongue, you know, give him a chance to settle down, take a bath, take a nap, whatever. And then later um, he would sit and talk with me. And then we just had a great a great break and, and um, both needs were being met because he knew I was putting it off, but I still needed that time. I still needed that focus. Um, and the way that I would connect was verbally. That's just what I need. And so we both, both our needs were met through that gap, through that break, through, through re-entry re time. And that can work for both the, the non-firefighter spouse too. Um, days when I've been out in the world doing whatever, working, shopping, Christmas shopping, you name it, whatever I'm out taking care of family members. When I would walk in the door, I don't want to be pounced on either. And so he reciprocated it and gave me a break to come in the door without saying what's for dinner. You know, the minute you walk in the door, give me a chance to decompress. And, and um, so it can work for the non-firefighter as well. But for the firefighter marriage where I think it was more intense is because the separation is typically longer than the average profession. Like that, that 24 hours is a long time to be apart as husband and wife. And so that, that connection I noticed was often awkward for us, um, especially back in the day when we didn't have cell phones. So I was going 24 hours or more, not even having spoken to him. And so that's when it used to really be intense, <laughs> that re-entry time, trying to reconnect and um, get close again so that we aren't spending the whole break at odds with each other. Is, uh, is sleep kind of tied into that as well? Uh, absolutely. Because again, rock and roll world of firefighting, danger, trauma, and sleep deprivation and expecting him to come in that door in a frame of mind to handle a deep conversation, um, it was just it was just wrong. <laughs> it wasn't gonna work up all night. Mike was always at a very, very busy firehouse through his entire career. Um, so coming in that door sleep, to, sleep deprived and expecting him to really wanna talk and connect, um, it was a disaster many, many times that, you know, when you're sleep deprived, nobody wants to sit and talk or be assigned duties or chores when you just really just want to make a beeline to that bed I'm just exhausted and I, I can't handle this so like I said trial and error I learned to give him a gap um, give him a nap give him a break when we could there were days when that wasn't possible that he couldn't take the nap and he had to just go with what was happening um, but at some point there's going to be a crash if, if that's every shift that they come home and they're expected to just perform without taking a nap. Um, at some point, things can go really awry. So we learned to give it whenever we could, give him that break whenever possible. And that again, sleep, um, sleep deprivation is huge. You're not at your best when you're tired. Nobody is. Mike, did you kind of make it a point to as best as you possibly could? I mean, like Ann said, it's not always a possibility, but that first morning off, just kind of block that off to just almost recovery. Did you make it a point when uh, you could? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Um, you know, life's busy. Um, quite 
quite candidly, a lot of times I would get off work and then go down to the training center because I was working on some drill and then come home. So not only did I have a 24 hour shift, but then when, by the time I got home, I had been doing drills for, you know, a chunk of the day or down in meetings downtown. So I was even triple tired. Um, that's why uh, the principle of reentry time is what we want you to get. The mechanics of it are going to depend upon how your home is laid out, how it's structured. Um, we figured out a way to make it happen, or Anne did, at least initially, based upon the fact that she was home raising the kids, you know, did, did homeschooling for a while, and full day, and I was working at the firehouse and doing the things that I do, and we made it, we navigated it based upon our day, our personalities, and how things work. For, for me, the, for the most part, I just needed a little gap in the morning. I didn't need a ton of stuff. I didn't need to go sleep for two hours because I never really napped anyway. I just needed a little bit of a break from, you know, hey, hi, good to see everybody, kids and all that. And then just a little bit of a gap before we kicked into the normal home routine, which is helping to take care of the kids, you know, and chores around the house and everything else. Uh, but everybody's going to have a different deal. I mean, I, I know people that are listening to this right now. One of the challenges when we talk about the principles is people shut off really quick anymore if what you're saying doesn't immediately resonate with what they think is true. And so the reason why folks will shut off with this, and we've watched it happen a lot, it certainly happens online a lot. Um, a lot of times at the spouse, and they'll say, well, pff, screw that. I'm tired too. You know, I've been home with the kids all, you know, to be with these kids all day and then talk about needing, you know, a break, or I got to get up and I got to get ready to go work at the bank, or I got to go, you know, do my shift at the hospital or whatever. Totally get it. And the principle still applies. If you don't sort this out, there is no way in the world that you're going to navigate things well on, on an ongoing basis. You've got to figure out some way to smooth out that transition back together, however it is. And, uh, you know, th there's a lot of different ways people do it. Some, some firefighters, most firefighters have some kind of commute, you know, the 20, 30, 40 minute commute, especially if you work in the city, you do. Uh, if, you, if you work in a smaller job and you only have a five minute commute, you know, I hate you. you know? <laughs> I, I, I have a I have a 15 minute commute just to get to the to the freeway before now I have you know the real commute to do so. But a lot of a lot of my friends, at least who work in, in places where they have a commute, they purposefully make the drive home, a transition home. They mentally shift gears in the car and they listen to mellow stuff, cool music. They don't do anything that fires them up, so that by the time they get home, they've already started that process. You know, that's the way to do it. Uh, some homes, you, you, you do have that ability to you know, just get away, go out in the shop, work, or do some exercise, do a workout, whatever. Uh, you know, if your routine is set up where you get home, spouse has got to go to work, transfer the kids, you know, happens. You're going to have to sort something out. If that's the way life is all the time, it's probably going to end up being a bit of a challenge for you. Um, again, for folks in that situation, it's probably going to have to be the ride home. Um, if you are able to do it, I would also say to the firefighters, this is very reciprocal. So when your spouse gives you that break and you now chill, you're, if your spouse has been home raising the kids all day, give them a break from the kids. You know, let them go do a workout. It's like, I got the kids, you know, they, or, or whatever it is. Um, when they come home from their job, they slide back into the house. It's like, hey, no expectations for the next whatever. Rock on, do what you got to do. Take a bath, chill out, do whatever. Give that time. And it starts to become reciprocal instead of everything we talk about is reciprocal instead of, well, I'm not getting that. It's 
I'm giving it, but man, I'm getting it back. How nice is that? It's the other person looking out for each other, which we believe is what you committed to when you decided to get married in the, get married in the first place. You know, and if you didn't, if you are adopting the new kind of modern theory of I'm doing this because it's good for me, God bless you. We didn't write about that. <laughs> That'll be the next edition. Yeah, no, that'll that'll never come off of our pen. Um, yeah, I, I, for us, for us, a relationship is primarily about you are you are combining with somebody to live your life together for the rest of your life, and you're doing it in a manner that you're agreeing to look out for each other, to have each other's back, to take care of each other, to put the other person first. And if both people in the relationship are doing that, imagine how wonderful that could be. Absolutely. Mike, I want to keep it with you. <clears throat> I know Ann will be able to chime in on this. And I'm kind of doing a, not really a, a good segue, just jumping right around Tarantino get style. Oh, get some. We're okay. Because um, this is an issue I've had difficulty myself with, and I, I know other people have as well, is just being able to talk to your spouse about the stuff that we see. Um, and, you know, for the longest time, I guarded, guarded my spouse. I, you don't want to see what I've seen. And I just, I would just eat it. I'd, I'd bury it down inside me and I'd keep it. And it would just, it'd go from there. I've gotten much better over the time of actually sharing things, not necessarily the details of stuff, but just at least talking about it and just getting it out there. Um, and not just, uh, again, keeping it inside. What was that process like for you guys? Well, um, I think for a period we did it badly and we didn't know we did it badly. I mean, we've, ne we've never been horrible at it because Anne is just such a, she's just a such a kind, loving person that just being around her makes you feel better. You know, so I was lucky in that regard. But on, a, on the type of thing that we want to be true, of being close and connected and not having things, you know, dividing us or, or between us. Uh, it, it ended up being a problem primarily because we, we handle sadness and despair and the, the feelings that come from seeing what we have to see, the stuff that no human being should ever have to see. We see it all the time. Um, we handle those things differently. We're wired differently. Uh, I typically want to sort it out myself when I'm sad or when I feel frustrated or angry. I want space and I want to kind of sort it through. And once I've kind of got it in my head, then I'm more open to talking about, it. you know, the whole idea of, I, I know we're doing a lot of like debriefings and things like that, you know, for the most part, and I appreciate that stuff and I support it, but we, we do need to be cognizant of people handle things differently and, and sort things out differently. I'm very much, I don't want to talk to you about it. I don't want to tell you my feelings until I've had time to figure them out myself and, and always knew by how I acted, by things I said, that I had had a bad run or seen a bad run. I never shared the uh, gritty details. And as you said, I think wisely, those are unnecessary. You don't, it, it, not, there's, no, there's no need with somebody who is not involved in what we do to articulate the gory, gritty details. You can be broad about it. And you can say it was a child involved. It was a bad car accident. It was whatever. Uh, but putting that stuff in other people's head is unnecessary. But being able now to say, uh, yeah, gosh, we had one with a baby that was just terrible. It was terrible. 
her instinct, because she's wired to want to talk about it, when she feels sad or upset or whatever, like talking about it, let me tell you my feelings and all that. So that's what she would do. And it would drive me nuts, it would frustrate me. You know? and, and so I would pull further away. She would get her feelings hurt or she would hear me on the phone with one of the guys talking about it because that was an easier way to talk about the details because they experienced it. So we could, we could talk about those details because we had both experienced it and it was helpful. She would get offended because I could talk to somebody else, but I couldn't talk to her. It's all very normal stuff. And probably every, most firefighter couples now are going to, yeah, it sounds familiar, right? It sounds very much familiar. Um, she learned that what I need is space and to be comforting and, you know, touch and those types of things for me, that is really good. Taking stuff off the plate is really good. Um, I learned that eventually I'm going to have to tell her more of what's going on so that she can process it. Uh, once we got to that point, um, it started to be a lot more helpful. It started to, we started to be able to do it a lot better. And um, the thing is, it's not a secret to your spouse that you've had something bad, you carry it. You may think you're quiet, silent, stoic type, but you're carrying it around. It's better to let them know so that they now know they can kick into that gear, that you had a tough run, you had a difficult thing. I'm going to give you some space. I'm going to let you out of a commitment, you know, because you're just not up to it today. It's not that you're lazy. It's not, not that you don't want to, you know, go to the family Christmas party or whatever. It's that at this point in time, it's not good for you to be around people and I'm not going to be upset about it. It's not your fault. And as long as you're being truthful about it, you know, you're not using the, the supposed bad run to get out of the in-law's birthday all the time. You know, as long as you're being truthful, I think it works out really well. And was that, that was kind of a trial and error process yeah, probably, wasn't it? And, and like he said, um, especially at the beginning of our marriage, I would notice this irritation, uh, a next level irritation. And in my studies and research, and I, I figured out that the most common reaction to trauma and trauma just means witnessing something horrible, you know, where human suffering was involved. The most common reaction to trauma is anger and irritability. And the reason for that is because it's a protection. It's an emotion that you can still function and it protects you and you're angry at what you saw because it was wrong. There's something horrible occurred is wrong, makes you mad. It's a functional emotion. Um, you can't just sit down and weep and cry and carry on at a fire scene or a tragedy. You have to function. And so that irritation is like a, a protection around your heart and it helps you keep going. And I would notice this irritation and this irritability and kind of a a little bit of a hair trigger snapping at simple questions. I would notice that coming home on occasion. And because he was wanting to protect me from what he just saw, he wouldn't tell me that's why I'm irritable. And so there was trial and error. Is he mad at me? What's going on? Why is he so irritable? And so then next thing you know, I'm responding in kind snapping back. And now we're in a fight. and We don't even know why. And, and that's where the trial and error. And so he learned over the years to tell me I, I had a tough run. I, I kind of learned it by the irritation too, because he's normally not like that. This is out of the ordinary for him to be that terse or abrupt in his answers. And so, um, but he did have to learn to tell me I had a tough run. And, and then again, this is a conversation. So what do you need from me? My reaction would be to try to get him to talk about it. He doesn't want to talk about it. One of the reasons most people don't want to talk about it right away 
is you haven't had time to process it and put it into words. It's still kicking around in your brain with emotion and pain and sorrow and smells and sights and sounds that you can't articulate. Um, some people can't articulate what they've experienced for a long, long time. And so to try to force somebody to put it into words can actually re-traumatize and be very upsetting. And so I had to learn that that's the last thing he wanted was to talk, to give him, again, give him space. What do you need from me? Um, just, he likes a lot of affection. Affection is a way to relieve tension without words, you know, just a hug, um, touch me, hold me, tell me everything's okay. Um, don't force me to talk about it. Um, when I'm ready to talk, we'll talk. Or if you need to talk to your chief or your captain or somebody else, I learned that's okay. It's not about me. Whatever it takes to help you process this and get through it and get over it, I was on board. And, and the more I was with him and meeting his needs in the way he needed them met, the quicker he recovered and then um, got it through, got over it, moved on. Uh, it was good for him, good for me. <laughs> now he's back to uh, his better frame of mind and, and we can move forward. And I also learned to recognize um, what kinds of runs did really get to him. And typically most firefighters will say anything involving a child is particularly traumatic. So if there was a child involved, I knew this one's gonna be tough. Um, or a fellow firefighter. Those are the two that seem to be the worst because you're personally involved with that firefighter. And if, if your brother, sister firefighter was hurt or God forbid killed, boy, that's gonna be some major, major emotional trauma to deal with. So th that's kind of some of the ways we've adapted to that. It is a conversation. Everybody handles trauma a little different, um, but we do all typically um, are, are impacted by it one way or another. So be aware of that fire spouse. Trauma is a real thing. It has emotional repercussions. And if you have any kind of heart, you are going to be impacted when you see something really sad. Um, and firefighters, all heart. <laughs> Every single one of you is all heart. You do this because you care about people. And it's, it's pretty much impossible to not be impacted by it um, one way or another. I, I hope you heard the principle in there too. That's just so important. From, from what she did naturally, it was looking for what was best for me, not what was best for her. What's best for her is to talk it out, right? And she wanted to play that role. That was not what was best for me. What's best for her is that I at least in some way communicate and let her know I had a bad, this was a bad time. And I may need to talk with people who have been there or someone else, uh, but she needs to hear that. She needs to know she's not a mind reader. So that's what she needed from me. If, if we can just get to the point where we're looking out for each other and not wanting our own thing, but wanting what's best, the same thing applies firefighter back to your spouses. You may be like me. You may not like to talk things out. But your spouse, when they're feeling down or bummed or hurt or whatever, do. Don't give them a bunch of space because that's what you want. That's the selfish response. Do what they need. It's all, it all melts together and is reciprocal. That's the real principle there. Oh, nicely done. Thank you for that. Going back to this book, and I'll go with you. Uh, what was your favorite chapter? To sit down and write 
the chapter you're just the most happiest about, you know, how it came out and, you know, maybe, maybe it's the most powerful one you wrote. I don't, I don't know. I'll give it to you. Favorite chapter. Um, well, I, I really like the five conversations. So that's actually kind of five, five chapters, but that one was, those five were years of research experience and teaching experience. Um, the book didn't just happen. Laying out a, a book is really hard. You can have all this stuff in there. And how, how do I get this even into just chapters? And, um, and that kind of came about actually from teaching is how do we convey this? And that's where the five conversations kind of were born was through teaching. And, and how do we put all this stuff about firefighting into usable chunks and, and a small number and, and something that we can articulate and share in classroom settings. So those five conversations, I felt like kind of encapsulated the reentry time, trauma, the harshness, the fix it mentality and the first family first kind of encapsulates everything about this profession that's different. And, and all those challenges I feel almost are narrowed down to those five chapters and, and in a teachable way that, again, encapsulates everything. And then those five, and then the one that I actually enjoyed <laughs> the most, the one that um, just really articulated what we ultimately want for every marriage. Um, it's the very last chapter of the book called Soulmate versus Soulmate. They're homonyms, but spelled different. And are you just going to be people that live together, S-O-L-E, singular soul and function and, and just get along, you know, choose each other, but, you know, you're just basically roommates or are you going to go for that next level, which is soul, S-O-U-L, next level, magical, um, one flesh, one, one everything. Is that what you're going to aspire to? And that's actually my favorite chapter overall because of that. It, it just, to me reminds people that we're shooting for something higher, that, that we want something magical and romantic and special that's going to last no matter what challenges you face in life, that you're going to just be each other's very best friend and, and all of that. So I actually enjoy that one the most, but the five conversations were the ones that I think I'm probably the most, I'm the proudest of, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mike, what about you? Same question. You knew that was um, coming. That's not a surprise. Yeah, I liked. Uh, I, I I liked for us the five conversations was where it all came together. You're trying to figure out how do we take all this message and actually make it something that people can resonate with. And when she came up with that and she funneled all the material into that, if you'll if you'll have those five conversations with your spouse, you got a good shot at eliminating a lot of the bad stuff that comes from the job home. And the cool thing is you don't have to do it the way we did it. Have the conversation in your way based on how your life is wired, your personalities, how your marriage is, however you do life. If you have those authentically, it's gonna go better, was transformative in you know trying to deliver a good message. Um, I, I don't know about favorite. I'll tell you the one that really struck me and caught me off guard was when she, um, talked about her relationship with her father and the father-daughter relationship because that that one I really wasn't that involved in that obviously um, but I had uh, 
uh, I liked Ann's dad. I, I, I liked him. There were lots of things to like about him. He's a very accomplished guy, did incredible things in the military, was a spy, you know, and that meant that meant like dangerous stuff. Um, brilliant. Um, but I, I, I had some um, definite angst with him over how he treated her and the, and the distance with her. I had some real angst there. And down the stretch, I really lost a lot of respect for him in the way he, the way he treated her, you know, as a father and a you know, daughter. But in reading that and watching her write about it, I learned a lot about the relationship and that there was a lot of good there that I didn't even know about. And it helped me to come full circle on just saying, you know what, everybody does things wrong, <laughs> you know, but good people also do a lot of good stuff as well. And it helped me to kind of close the gap there. Plus, I just thought it was, I thought it was an incredibly touching snapshot of just how important that relationship is. For sure. Yeah. No, that, that was, that definitely was interesting chapter two. Well, um, and, and, you know, and, and also uh, I won't go too deep in it, but I'm also glad that we were able to keep the dangers of pornography in the book because we, we, um, we were running into some trouble there about keeping it in the book and it being appropriate and those types of things. Um, there's a, there is a view out there, interestingly, that pornography is not a problem. And that why would you write about something that's a problem for some people, but not for others? And, um, we were adamant that it stay in, that it's damaging, that it's causing a lot of people problems. And so that, uh, you know, through our publisher and that, they ended up being supportive of it. Um, I'm very glad that we were able to keep that in there because it's having a, a tremendous impact on a lot of relationships, you know? And like, like we said, if, uh, you know, if you dig porn and it helps you out and whatever, at least make sure you're doing it together, you know, that you're not off privately doing it secretly somewhere, spending money or going to strip clubs or whatever and your spouse doesn't like it, or they don't know you're doing it, that's not healthy. If, uh, uh, far be it from us to judge a relationship, man, you know, whatever gets you by, rock on. But if, if, if it's something that's good in the marriage, it's good because you both agree to it. You, agree, you, you either participate in, in it together or whatever the topic is, not just one. If, if you're participating in it together or you, you support it together, then it has a chance of being healthy. If it's, just one person doing whatever the hell they want to do, I think it's a problem. No, it's interesting. You know, I have never wrote a book, but just listen to you. It's it's your book. I figured whatever you wanted to put in it, it's your book. And it, uh, you're, you're shaking your head. It's not that simple. Is what I'm it learning. No, you you do have a you have a publisher. You have editors. Um, they have to look out. You know, in, in defense of the publisher and who's publishing your book. They put your name, their publishing name on your book. And so if there are things within the book that they, they either can't resonate with or they feel like are wrong, that becomes, you know, that becomes a bit of a challenge. So, you know, you navigate all that stuff and all the folks at uh, Fire Engineering, they're all friends of ours. So we navigated it. But no, that was that was particularly a challenge, especially with um, the outside editors that were editing the book and they just didn't agree. They, they, they said, you know, there's just too many people out there that use pornography as a productive part of their relationship and a productive part of being, you know, a whatever. And uh, well, you know, you and I probably would resonate a little better. Um, here's all we can do. I can tell you this about pornography. There is probably not a fire department in the nation right now that doesn't have some type of regulation that says, don't bring that stuff into our firehouse, right? Sure. Why is it then 
Why is it if pornography is not addictive and not a problem, why is it that we still have those regulations and you can lose your job if you do it and people are still bringing it into the firehouse, still getting disciplined and fired? There's obviously something more of a grab there that has a hold of people than what we're acknowledging. And that's probably where I'll leave that. Uh, if you want to know what we think about pornography, read it in the book because that's what we think. And if you have a different opinion, um, write a book. Well, and it, it's been enough of an issue in firefighters yeah. that, that oh. we know personally. Yeah. Terrible. Cost them their job, cost yeah. them their marriage. We felt that it was important enough to at least somewhat address it. Um, everything in there was based on stuff that we've observed and seen to be problems in marriages. So that's why it was in there, because we care enough about firefighters to at least mention it <laughs> and bring it up, because it has been a real problem in in lives that we know personally so absolutely so i mean not only did you talk about that pornography but i mean that had to be difficult to self to write but also openly talking about sex i mean that's that's not something that we generally do i don't yeah. think i ever have on this podcast so this i know <laughs> and i won't talk about it in my classes or anything that's why i put it in the book but um that was another major major conversation um in the firehouse mike said you couldn't go 24 hours without talking about sex in the firehouse <laughs> so <laughs> that was probably the most talked about topic of all and so to not put that in a firefighter book it just seemed wrong and so um that actually is and i I'll, this is kind of all i'll say about it that's what makes marriage different than any other relationship really when it all boils down to is sex and you can have friends and all these other relationships but the only person you're really supposed to have sex with is your spouse and so to not put that in a marriage book at least a little bit um seemed wrong to us and they didn't want that in the book either <laughs> fire engineering said oh no no this isn't a this isn't a sex book it's not like, a sex manual it's <laughs> but it's yeah Sex in there. It's like, it wasn't written that, you know, you no, know, it was, you guys did a good job. Oh, thanks. We tried to just be somewhat tasteful about it. And yes. I was, I was searching for the word that, that is perfect. Tasteful. tasteful. <laughs> you don't have to go into the details, what you do, no, how you do it, no. what you like, all those things. You do not have to go into those types of details to articulate very clearly that a healthy relate in a healthy relationship intimacy is going to be a critical part of that. Mm -hmm. And because we're doing all the things we're doing now with relationships and men and women and all this crazy stuff we're doing right now, that's a big deal to everybody. And, and everybody says, oh, well, you can't say that. You can't, it's like, listen, all we can do is tell you our story. <laughs> and when we, are, when we are doing well as a couple, intimacy is a constant part of that. It's a natural it's a natural outworking of two people that love each other and are working together and are close with each other. And it's wonderful. It's incredible. Most of, I, guys always say oh, going to fires is better than sex. Not my experience. <laughs> and I love going to fires. I do. I love going to fires. Not my experience. Uh, so not addressing it and talking about the importance of it, talking about those things would have been an absolute lie. It would be like, you know, it would be like going to a fire and ignoring the fact that you might have building collapse because we don't want to think about it or talk about it. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry, but there it is. It's part of it. And uh, intimacy is, I think, a 
true indication of a healthy relationship because you want that closeness and connectedness with each other. And I tried to bring in some of the things about firefighting that impact that area as well. Yeah. And one of the things I think I was able to say is that for women to feel intimate, there needs to be emotional closeness. And for the firefighters, especially men firefighters, they can lose some of that emotional openness or vulnerability because of the nature of firefighting. Because you have to protect yourself and so you can become a little hard-hearted or withdrawn emotionally, mm -hmm. withdrawn verbally, and that's impacting sex life. And so I was trying to bring in that some of the unique challenges of firefighting because typically what women need and typically what men need and firefighting can really get in the way of that too. So that's why I also felt it was important to address it, that um, this job can impact the most intimate areas of your relationships with some of the harshness and the emotional damage and inability to communicate, um, break, you know, communication breaking down, that's gonna impact your sex life as well. So that's why we felt it was important. And again, I'm not gonna talk about it in the class because it's too embarrassing, <laughs> but I wrote it all out in the book. So. <laughs> We're gonna have to rework that contract, Mike. <laughs> no, um, let me let me ask you this regarding the you know talking about this live. Um, you know, Mike was already kind of on the speakers tour, if you will. He was already out there. At what point did you realize with this book, with these articles, like we can also talk about this as well? Well, people started asking for it. That was the biggest, that was the initial thing. I'll tell you, I did not, when she was writing the book, I mostly thought it was going to be the book and the articles because that is not her, at least we thought, not her strength. And okay. she's terrified to speak to others. And I, I, you know, other than select settings, I never would have imagined that it would have developed the way it was. And just what has happened it's not like she's not terrified. She still is. Every time she gets up there, she's terrified to talk to you. But people resonated with it so strongly, and it, it seemed to be helping people that, that that just wonderful thing of being able to come into people's lives and help them overrode her fear. And I've been telling her, you know, in the last couple of years, I've been telling her, it's fun for me just to watch her because I know what's going on inside. I mean, I know she, I know the stuff that's going on. And she has become, you know, quite accomplished at articulating this stuff and in a very, in, in an enjoyable way. So, yeah. And just, I don't know, just people wanted it. They wanted yeah, it. They I, wanted to hear it. You do, you talk, you speak, you whatever. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we do yeah. sort it out. You no, know? I just wanted to write. I never dreamed yeah. about teaching or boy, if you'd have told me that 10 years ago, yeah. no way, <laughs> no how, but I, I did travel with him, especially um, like when he his one of his very first teaching things was like in Myrtle Beach someplace really cool and so I went with him on that just just to go just to see him teach and just to be on the beach and then he was the um, keynote for FDIC and he won a training award back in 2008 so I went to that just to see him get his award and to do his keynotes and fell in love with FDIC and, and fire engineering and, and just started traveling with him just for fun. And then it's somewhere in there watching him do his thing and um, how cool it was and how, um, how wonderful firefighters are everywhere we go actually added to my writing. And then my writing was launched and 
then they started asking for classes for me to do. I was like, whoa, no, 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 no. But I had watched him do it long enough and he's been teaching and speaking since college days. So I've, I've seen that. Um, so learning from him and what a good instructor he is, it really helped bring me along. And, and, and the, the true key to public speaking for anybody who's curious is to get your eyes off yourself and be passionate about the topic and passionate about your audience and, and to come from you know, a heart of love and affection to where it's not about me anymore, it's about you. And that has really helped me get over a lot of my fear and, and kind of think of them, I'm a mom, so think of them as almost like my kids. And then it's like, okay, that's not so threatening for me. I'm, I'm here to try to help you and love you and, and share, share from my heart. And that helps me get over the fear <laughs> of it. There, there is stuff you get and impact that you get from hearing somebody tell it that you don't get from reading it. And mm -hmm. so that's a very enjoyable part of it. They get it and they get stories and they get the inflection in a different way than you get it from the written word. And so that's pretty compelling. For sure. And uh, this seems like as good a time as any to say, I'm looking forward to seeing both of you live in exotic Beaver Creek, Ohio on uh, November 4th, as far as the fourth annual Brothers Helping Brothers Conference. Yeah, hey, no see shame. you for promotion too, dude. I have no shame. Plug that stuff. You know, you're part of our awesome lineup, so check that out, Brothers Helping Brothers. Um, with that, I actually want to go into the 25, which is kind of a random kind of questions, fun questions. Not that I'm going to go over 25 questions. That's way too much. <laughs> but I have all these different numbers of 1 through 25, and I'm going to have you guys just take turns and – pick out a number and I'll go over the question. But before I even do that, for for all the people watching us on, on YouTube, Mike, you got to tell me whose guitars are those behind you? Who are they signed? All this kind of stuff. I, mean, I, I need to know. It's bugging me. This is all, it's all part of being married. You know, she has to deal with my sickness. That's one of them. So, <laughs> um, so this is ACDC, the Brian Johnson ACDC. Uh, you Sure. You have to be a, I don't know, you probably have to be a, some something other than a firefighter to own the Bond Scott signed one. That's a lot more expensive than this one. Um, Rolling Stones. Wow. The original four, the bass right there is the original four Van Halen, including Eddie. Um, and then the one over her head there <laughs> is three members from Led Zeppelin. Once again, if you want to have John Bonham on your guitar, you better come with the... Uh, <laughs> You better come with a big checkbook. So, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. All right. I don't even know how to follow if you up. Were, that, if, really. you were, if we were to kick things over to the right here over my record player is uh, the Hotel California lineup of the Eagles, fully signed Aerosmith and fully signed Boston. So it's a sickness, brother. It's a, look, I, I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. <laughs> I don't chew. I don't go with girls that do. Um, that's my sickness. <laughs> and he earned it. He's worked hard for those, so I don't mind it. And he <laughs> indulges my sickness, which is Disneyland. So <laughs> yeah. that's my sickness. Nice. Which uh, is Disneyland? I forget. Is it? Is that California or Florida? Cali. California. Okay, that opens up, and well, by the time this airs, it's already back opened up. I hope so. 
Yes, April first. So. So uh, yeah. yeah, Disney World has been open. Yeah. Um, Disneyland is, from what we understand, Disneyland is okay to open. They haven't decided yet whether they're going to. Yeah, so. and I think it's just for locals yeah. at first, just for ah, okay. Which Florida has been open, but their hotels were not. So pretty much limits it for locals. You just have to Florida. stay in the castle. Yeah, yeah or like a B and B people are renting homes and things oh, sure. like that in Florida until the hotels open. So All right. And how about do you pick out a number, one through twenty five, we'll do that. I will do eleven. These go to eleven. Eleven. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nice Spinal Tap reference yep. for those who didn't get it. Favorite movie, we love that movie. <laughs> who would speaking of movies? Who would play you in a movie regarding your life? Who would play me? Oh, yes. I should answer. Um, well, I like to think of myself as a a shorter, fatter, <laughs> blonder version of Nicole Kidman. <laughs> I've always liked her. I always felt like we kind of look alike, but I'm shorter and fatter, of course. Um, <laughs> But I like Nicole Kidman. I is that is that who you were thinking, Mike? Oh yeah. I mean, she's. Uh, I always felt like she kind of had the. She kind of has the vibe of of younger Meg Ryan, and Elizabeth Shue. You know who Elizabeth Shue is. I always felt like she looked, you know, a bit like her. But yeah, they have kind of the vibe that I would think. It would, yeah, and the basic the basic look. <laughs> nice. I wish. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> So actually, Mike, I'm going to pick yours because I'm, it's my show. I can, <laughs> I can do, it's my rules. You can do what you want. Uh, first concert. First concert way back when. So I, I went to, um, I went to a couple small ones. I, you know, I lose track because it's so long ago. I'll tell you the first significant concert I went to that was, that I can remember as a rock and roll concert was Judas Priest and, and the initial tour of Great White. And it was, it was incredible because it was the Defenders of the Faith tour for Judas Priest. And so the, the stage was massive. And it was, you know, it was the album cover. So it was that big, that big beast that they have. And I remember the, the claw of the beast, the, the monster came down and it was a stairwell that he walked down awesome it was just so awesome the music was so good and and great white is still to this day one of my favorite bands and this was back with their first album when they were they were much less they were less poppier than what they got to be in the later albums it was just this bluesy rock album and they were young and, it, and man it was it was fantastic i can still i can still remember it I, I went to see I went to see them uh, I went to see Jack Russell's the singer's version and got you know got to meet him and have him sign something I and I was talking to him about it and he actually he needed to get to the other people but he wanted to talk about that show and that time and how fun it was and that it was it was good it was a lot of fun that's cool is being out there where you're at is is the gorge is that that's near you right. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, um, boy, it's, uh, every bit of a two and a half, three hour drive to get to it. It's on the other side. Yeah, it's on the other side there? of the mountains. Uh, I've been to a few, um, man, it's, it's fantastic in the summer. There's not a, it's like going to Red Rocks or these other types of places. It's just a, 
the stage backdrops the Columbia River and you, the gorge is on both sides and it's this big steep bank going down. And so, you know, you spend part of the day just in the sunshine before the concert, getting some food and hanging out and guys getting drinks and everything. And then the show with the sun going down in the back. And yeah, phenomenal, fantastic. That's on my list. Yeah, you <laughs> you should definitely do it. Another place that you should go is Red Rocks. I've been there. I did. Oh, okay. I did yeah. uh, Red Rocks for the first time. Uh, you know who Dave Dodson is, Reading Smoke? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave's a good friend of mine. And he. we've been talking about going to a show. And for his, I don't remember which birthday it was, um, he got VIP tickets at the Gorge to see, In or at, Red at Red Rocks, to see Chicago and the Doobie Brothers. They were they were doing it together, and we had he had VIP tickets to meet the Doobie Brothers. And so one day we were just saying, "Man, we got we got to do a show together." He says, "What are you doing in June?" And I said, "Well, I don't know." And uh, he said, "Well, if you can get here, I got tickets." And I, you know, to go to that place and see those two incredible bands with the person who you, you know, you love and that you care about, we had a great time together. That's awesome. Good deal, Miss Ann. What uh, number would you like next? Oh, another one. Um, yeah. Let's do 23. Son's birthday. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Chicago, Chicago or New York pizza? Oh, boy. You know, I... Deep dish or thin crust? <laughs> so Chicago's deep dish? Yeah. Yes. I would probably do deep dish. I like... There's not a wrong answer, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I like ooey gooey, thick, and <laughs> lots of ingredients. Probably the deep, deep dish, Chicago. Nice. Mike, I'm going to do one more question with you, and it's, again, me picking it out. Uh, because I know, <laughs> I know when you dom- come here. I'm feeling dominated here. I just feel no, no, I just, when I also know when you come here, like, we're going to have a lot to talk about, but that's, you know, that's all good. Uh, first album. Uh, my first proper album that I bought was not proper album it was an eight track eight track <laughs> <laughs> we're old first eight uh, track that, that's what the question is uh, it remains my favorite album to this day what queen is- night at the opera that was the very first one i bought with my own money at a rec at an album store very first one and it remains of all the records that i love if i had to only pick one uh that's the that's my favorite record of all time now i have to say Led Zeppelin 4, Van Halen 1, the Eagles' greatest hits all come very, they nudge very close up to that. But if I had to pick one, I think maybe some of it's sentimental. Uh, Yeah, that's the first one I bought with my own money, and I love it to this day. That was another great answer. (laughs) Eight track. What was it, Ann? Eight track. Eight track. I thought you were saying eight next. No. (laughs) What number do you want? What last I'll one do, for you, Ann? I'll do one for my other son's birthday. What was your first job? Uh, I went around the neighborhood at age 12. I made little business cards for babysitting. <laughs> Hire a professional Entre- entrepreneur. Age, <laughs> age 12. Um, babysat for and I was hired by many of our neighbors to be a little babysitter so I probably babysitting and then my first actual job job was at a dry cleaners <laughs> so that was a interesting job very a uh, lot of strong smells um, 
but it was good. I, I earned a lot of money from, from my dry cleaning job, babysitting and dry cleaning. Those were my, and then my favorite first job after that was working at a movie theater. And that was really fun when I, I left the dry cleaning to go work at a movie theater and had a blast with that. I did the, kind of the drive in movie theater, which oh, is really did? cool. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Fun. Oh, yeah. That was, that was second job. So, COVID yeah. almost made that come back, bro. You could have had a resurgence. Oh, yeah. that's, you know? that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, movie theaters are fun because we got free popcorn, free pop, and free movies. So, really fun job. I, I'm sure the drive in was the same. Did you get free concessions? Oh, um, unlimited uh, stale popcorn. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we had to provide our own cup and our own container, but we could have as much popcorn and pop as we wanted. No, it was it was a perfect job for like a 16, 17 year old. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. Well, nice. Well, again, thank you guys so much for your time. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to you coming to my hometown here in you know, a few months from now. Sure. Um, where can everybody track down the book and if they had to uh, email you or contact you, we're going to do that at as well. So the easiest thing to do, well, you can get it at any of the booksellers. So Amazon has it, Fire Engineering has it. Uh, if you would like a personalized copy signed to you, you can just email us. Uh, the best email is M-I-K-E-Y-J-A-Y at AOL.com. Mikey J. AOL. Don't give me crap AOL. about AOL. I know, I know. We've had it since 1990. It's, it's worked. It's worked. And, you know, me and Dugan, man, we're the, we're the, we're the holdouts. We're going to... But yeah, uh, Mikey J at AOL.com, or you can just ping me on Facebook. Uh, if you get on Facebook, you can probably get me there on Messenger or whatever. Um, yeah, we'd be glad uh, glad to send you one. And we we just charge what Amazon charges. Yeah, same, so it'd be same the price. same price. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, if you wanna, if you would like us to come and uh, either teach fire stuff or to teach marriage or both, um, that would be the place to get a hold of us as well. That's the easiest thing to do. Perfect. All right. Well, once again. Seriously, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for taking the time to actually write this book, all the articles. I mean, and you guys know it. You, you are helping firefighters and their families all throughout the world. So amazing job. Thank you. I sure hope so. That's, that is our heart. We love, we love firefighters and happy to hear that anything that we're saying or doing is helping because that's what it's all about for us. Yeah, it's it's my belief, Jim. Our belief that uh, if you are if you are kicking butt in your relationship and it's going well, that naturally translates to every other aspect of your life, and you're going to be a better firefighter. You're going to be healthier. Uh, you're going to be a better parent, a better you know son or daughter, those types of things. And so, it just has such a dramatic impact on everything. If we do that really well, everything else benefits. So, to the extent that this work has helped that it's the most encouraging thing in the world. And I, and I would extend it to you too, as well. We've, we've really looked forward to hanging out with you guys. I'm glad that worked out. Um, I hope folks will check out what they're doing at the conference. I mean, it's the, the vision and the goals and the stuff that they're tackling is so compelling. Um, what did you say it is Beaver Creek, Ohio? Is that what you called it? Exotic. Beaver Creek, Exotic. Ohio. I, I think it would be a blast for you to look in November for exotic people <laughs> November uh, because just because of the topic that's being described and, and who knows maybe if you go there we'll hang out we'll 
say hi to you and maybe we'll all meet up at uh what's the name of the barbecue place on the ohio river we want to go to bro oh you're talking about uh montgomery inn montgomery inn mm, whoa i don't i actually think we're gonna great... we're gonna end up going to company sevens barbecue okay we'll go do that too that sounds good that's that's <laughs> local but that's good too that sounds good so no I'll, I'll believe me i mean it's a fat guy talking to you I'm, i'll take care of you <laughs> we love barbecue <laughs> All right. And pizza. Well, yeah. Yes, we'll do pizza too. Deep dish. Deep dish. Beaver Creek pizza. I don't. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys again for your time, yeah. and I'll see you here soon. All, All right. right. That, that's Mike. That's Ann, and I'm Jim Bernica, and we're out of time. I'm gonna let these guys free and have fun on the Saturday night. <laughs> Thank right. you.